Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. Well, Drew, as we mentioned in our last episode, the AMTA season is officially underway. We had a great time chatting about all things AMTA and this year's case with Anna Eldridge on our last episode. And we are continuing the trend of having really fantastic guests who have uh, a rich and interesting history in AMTA uh, with this week's episode where we have the privilege of chatting with AMTA President Jonathan Woodward. Now, if you're a listener of the podcast, you know that Jonathan is a friend of the show. Uh, if you want to hear Jonathan's origin story and and more int- information about his time as AMTA tabulation director, you can go all the way back to episode 29, where you can hear his conversation with us back in April of 2020. If you're curious about what an interview with another AMTA president might sound like, you can go all the way back almost to the beginning of this show to episode three, when we had a conversation with then AMTA president Will Warahay. But we're so fortunate to have AMTA president Jonathan Woodward on the show. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us. I'm still waiting for you to introduce the fun and interesting guest. Is is that me? <laughs> that That is, in fact, you. Oh, that, man. Sorry, sorry for your listeners. <laughs> we'll we'll do our best. I think I think our listeners would find you to be a fun and interesting guest, and I guess they'll be the judge of that one way or the other. But we're really glad to have you on the show. So we'll start with sort of what I think is the obvious question, and and I'm going to frame it this way. And and I, I was really thinking a lot as as I was preparing for this episode about how to frame this question. Being AMTA president is a tough job. The pay is not great, and you have a lot of really important responsibilities. The last two AMTA presidents have had to deal with various iterations of the pandemic and challenges with our organization at large, and it's just a really difficult, and I imagine it's sometimes thankless, job. So I'll ask sort of the simple question that leads to that. Why did you decide to run for president? Why did you decide you wanted to lead an organization like AMTA? Are you telling me I get paid for this? I was about to say... (laughs) The, the the joke was that you don't get paid. Oh, I, I, okay. Yeah, I you know Did you humor is the, not really the strength of this show. <laughs> there was an internet comment once upon a time about like the six figure salary that the AMTA president <laughs> makes. And like, yeah, so they have the right AMTA. Um, <laughs> no, I mean you know I've been on the board of directors since two thousand seven, uh, and have been privileged to you know hold a various uh, roster of leadership positions within the organization and after almost a decade as tab director i just sort of felt that uh you know the time was right to sort of step into what was almost like the last job in amta that i had yet to do (laughs) um and, and candidly you know just after after that length of period of time on the board uh at least uh you know i i see myself kind of kind of winding down with my experience in AMTA, but uh, I wanted the opportunity to to lead the organization for uh, for a term as president and and see if I can leave the organization in in better shape than I found it. And I think that's what uh, basically all the other presidents have uh, have tried to do and done quite successfully. So well, that kind of leads naturally into my next question. You know, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to be at the board meeting this summer, and and Drew and I was listening in on Zoom, and so we both got to hear your opening remarks. Typically, at each board meeting, the president will offer, you know, say maybe five to ten minutes of just kind of, you know, hey, these are my priorities for this year. These are the things that I'm focused on. So I was just kind of curious if you could share for your listeners what your priorities as president are and what you see as the major areas of focus. As you, you know, now just I guess a couple of months ago started your first year as president. Yeah, so you know, I've got a few different sort of projects that I would like to see make some progress within the next two years, basically during my my term as president. Uh, one is I'm tasking sort of a small group uh, to basically go out and really try and improve the number of HBCU, uh, historically black colleges and universities that participate in AMTA. Um, you know, we've, we've had some more in the past that, uh, have sort of stopped participating Spelman, Morehouse, some others, uh, Florida A&M. Um, and I know this was something that, uh, that Brandon Harper was passionate about and, and was hoping to, uh, work more on during his presidency. And I think his, his term very rightly so 
uh, sort of quickly got diverted into handling, you know, pandemic related issues and, yeah. and transitioning to online mock trials. So, um, so I've sort of tasked Brandon and Angela Minor with, with actually going out and sort of physically meeting in person with representatives from different HBCUs that do not currently participate in AMTA uh, to see what we can do to, uh, to improve that participation. Uh, sort of as a corollary, I know uh, this was something that, uh, that Ian Lambert, who I know has been on this, uh, this program before and is, is well known to many in the mock trial community, uh, he sort of brought to me an idea of, of AMTA potentially hosting, uh, basically standalone invitational tournaments in the fall that were targeted towards specific types of, of institutions that might not be very well represented, uh, in AMTA. His idea was community colleges, but I think you can extrapolate it out to all sorts of different types of colleges and universities. So I've set up a, a committee to look at, you know, different sort of target populations that uh, we might be able to uh, to provide sort of an invitational-like experience in the fall uh, for schools that might not have that uh, that same access to invitationals that that schools that have been around the circuit for a long time might have. Um, I have set up uh, an alumni uh, engagement uh, committee that's sort of working basically hand in hand with our communications committee. It's it, the committee is one and the same because I think our alumni engagement in many ways is our communications. Uh, but Rio Akaraju is, is leading that group up group up. Um, and I hope they can come up with some cool ideas just to, to try and improve, uh, the work we, we do with, uh, alumni engagement. Um, and then finally, I'm going to try and just get our development committee to, uh, to do a little bit more this year. Obviously we're still, uh, really reeling from the loss of of Tom Shearer, both on a, a personal level and also just on the talents that that he brought to the AMTA board. And development was really uh, a space where he excelled. Um, and if we can try and uh, come up with some campaigns, I'm hoping to do sort of an online giving campaign geared towards older alumni uh, and other uh, friends of AMTA who might have the means to donate uh, later on this fall. Uh, you know, anything we can do to to prevent having to raise registration fees in the future, I think everyone would appreciate. So, so those are just some of the things that uh, that I'm hoping that we can make some progress on in the next couple of years. And and you touched on several things in there that I think we'll you know we'll probably have some more questions for as as we go on. But I think each of those are really interesting, and we want to get to specifics in just a moment. But but sort of one other question on the topic of being AMTA president more broadly. You know, you mentioned that Brandon's term obviously sort of got occupied by the pandemic and, and Will's term had had, you know, the challenge of the national final round and then the beginning of the pandemic. And, and there's a lot of big things that have gone on. So just in terms of AMTA as a whole, where do you see the organization right now? And we'll talk COVID specifically in a minute, but where do you see the organization right now in terms of where we're headed. Do you feel like we're sort of in more of a transition period where we're rebuilding from the last few years, or do you think that you know your your next couple of years as president you know, that you have a lot of opportunities to maybe address some challenges that have been around for a while? You know, I know that's kind of a broad question, but I'm just curious, kind of where you see AMTA heading as an organization right now. Yeah, I mean, I think we're headed in the right direction. I think obviously the hope is that. Um, you know, we don't have any more pandemic or other public health related setbacks that are going to sort of occupy everyone's time and attention this year where we can maybe focus on uh, some of these other types of projects to really improve uh, upon AMDA and keep the organization moving forward as opposed to just sort of constantly uh, sort of responding to the latest crisis and putting out fires and just making sure that that mock trial physically happens. Uh, so my hope is that everyone, uh, on the board, myself included, is just going to have a little bit more bandwidth, uh, to tackle some of these other, uh, you know, ideas and projects, uh, that we really just didn't have the time to do over the past couple of years. You know, and Jonathan, it's, it's cool to me always getting to hear all the different things that, that you're hoping to do. Um, I think that I'm, 
I'm always kind of interested in this, like, okay, we're, we're moving forward into this new kind of presidency and, and what that means. Like, do you think that there's anything we can expect as maybe not as monumental changes, but what, what is the thing that you kind of would love for us to attach to the Woodward presidency? You know, I've thought about this quite a bit and honestly, I don't know that if you are a competitor or even a recent alumni, I don't know that there's a lot of stuff that I'm looking to necessarily, you know, change or, or make these uh, sort of big, bold moves that necessarily affect that aspect of the process. I think certainly as, as tab director, I've, I've been involved in in that side of the organization for a period of time. And I think the longer you're involved with the organization, you know, I'm really thinking more long-term about uh, sort of the internal workings of AMTA, making sure that we have a strong group of leaders to uh, keep AMTA moving forward. Uh, That as folks like myself and other folks who are my age on the board, uh, start to to maybe move on to different things. That there's that there's a core group of people that are uh, more talented than we are that are going to uh, sort of take the baton and keep this organization moving forward. Um, so you know, a lot of times when we talk about the AMTA board, we're talking in the context of uh, you know, like the invention rules or really sort of competitive aspects, the case and things like that. Um, and I'm really thinking more broadly about the internal workings of the organization, making sure that we're in a strong development position moving forward um, and that we're fostering that next group of leaders. Well, I can say as, as a younger and more recent graduate, that is certainly always good to hear. And, and I'm excited to see what, what that is going to bring us. Um, I think it's natural, obviously, as Ben alluded to at the very beginning, the case just got released. And of course, you have a very uh, important role in that case. <laughs> um, I, I remember, you know, I wasn't at Nationals, but uh, listening to the live stream and, and getting to hear um, some familiar voices uh, in as part of the teaser. So, um, you know, we'll get to the, the case at large as a second, but what was, can you just take us, what was it like getting to uh, to be an air traffic controller? What was the the, you know, How'd you get into that mindset and 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 be the the air traffic controller that we all, all come to hear already uh, many many times? I'm sure. Yeah, so I'm actually sort of a huge commercial aviation nerd. Um, <laughs> it, it's just sort of uh, sort of my principal nerddom outside of uh, of mock trials. So when I found out that the case committee was proposing to do an aviation related case, I um, I loved it. I mean, it's, uh, I, I just think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and when they came up with the idea of, you know, of, of doing a teaser and they had sort of a, some source material that, that they want us, wanted us to emulate. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on this. This is, this is right in my lane. <laughs> so, um, you know, when I, I went to law school in Southern California and for those of you who live there, have been there, there's a, an in and out burger, uh, basically right at the end of one of the one uh, one of the runways at LAX and you can go sit there and these huge planes from all over the world are landing basically right over your head and that was my happy place out there just to go out and and sit and watch planes land so to have an aviation related case is uh, is pretty awesome and and I was very happy to uh, to get to have a small role in it obviously you weren't one of the writers of this case but you have correct a great deal of experience with reading cases with working on committees um can you can you give us any sense of what what do you think of the case more as like that perspective of um of just your your role there are you are there things about this case you're excited about is there a favorite part of this case outside of obviously your uh exhibit um but is there anything about this case that sticks out to you that you think is is memorable so i don't coach a team so my experience with the case is very different than those who do coach a team, uh, just because I'm really not absorbing it uh, in the same way or have to use it for the same purposes. So 
I'm I hope to have more time, especially after they release uh, sort of that traditional first set of of corrections and whatnot to to spend some more time with it. I've given it what I would call sort of a solid skim, um, just to get a sense of you know the types of different witnesses there are, and especially I wanted to take a look at all the different. Uh, you know, documents and exhibits and maps and things like that, because, uh, you know, those are pretty important in a case like this. So, uh, but beyond that, uh, because I haven't worked with it much and I've been uh, pretty busy with real trial, um, I guess I'll leave it to the, to the community to um, figure out what they like best about it. And hopefully um, what little I've heard, uh, it's been a positive reaction so far, which is good. Yeah, I can, tell you drew and i have read it we both really like it the as we're recording this our our conversation with anna eldridge isn't out yet but we chatted with her about the case and we of course chatted with her about audio exhibits because uh she was on some of the case committees that wrote uh cases with audio exhibits like dawson right and we were looking back on some of the special instructions about jam boxes yeah. and things like that so it's it's kind of neat to have a an audio exhibit in 2022 where we don't have to buy d batteries for a right. you know for a cd uh you know for a, a boom box that is inevitably going to skip at the crucial moment yeah and you know i think you know Back at that time, I think there was maybe more concern about the in-round communication. And I think now that um, we're more used to to that rule, and I think there's more self-policing around that. I don't expect it's going to be an issue. No, certainly. And I totally agree with you. I mean, we all just went through a year and a half of Zoom mock trial. Like At this, round, at this point, you know, the in-round communication stuff, I think, is kind of second nature. And for the most part, everybody gets it. Yeah. So, Jonathan, I actually want to go back a little bit to something that you mentioned earlier when you were talking about sort of your overall approach to president and some of the major areas of focus that you have. So you discussed this um, work that you're doing with Brandon Harper and Angela Miner to recruit and support HBCUs. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the board of directors and AMTA as a whole. So the board of directors has right now, based on what I could tell on the website, in the vicinity of 39 or 40 people who are either members or candidates Uh, of that group. I would say the majority of them are men and the majority are white men. Uh, And I think that that's shifting to some degree. We've seen some movement on that. And I also think that there are some younger candidates and some younger leaders. You obviously mentioned the work that Rhea is doing uh, as an example of that. So as a broad question, where do you see AMTA moving in terms of the composition and diversity on the board of directors, both in terms of diversity and in terms of age? And where do you see sort of just the leadership as a whole of the organization headed over the next couple of years? Yeah, and that was something that I really talked about uh, when I was running for president is something that I, you know, that I'm hopeful that will be in better shape by the time I'm done is I'd really like to see student advisory board in some way become a little bit more of sort of a training ground, a proving ground for for people who might be interested in continuing to work with AMTA after graduation and uh, potentially becoming, you know, candidates and, and directors on the board or otherwise having uh, sort of more extensive leadership roles uh, or working with the organization, uh, because I think we've done a really good job with SAB and making sure that, uh, that group, uh, really represents a broad, uh, cross section of our student membership, uh, both in terms of sort of traditional types of, of diversity, but also geographic diversity and different types of colleges and universities different levels of competitive success, things along those lines. And to the extent that we can create more of uh, like a formal pathway where folks who get involved with SAB can then, uh, you know, have more specific targeted opportunities to stay involved after they graduate. And then, you know, once you're a few years after graduation, potentially become a candidate. um, I think that will hopefully help us, you know, create this sort of steady stream of folks who are interested in taking on leadership with AMTA and make sure that we continually have the, sort of those fresh voices and fresh perspectives 
uh, to make sure that our organization stays relevant. Jonathan, am I correct that the AMTA bylaws restrict the board of directors size to 40 people? Is that right? You might be right about that, but without looking, <laughs> I couldn't mm-hmm. say for sure, but you might be right about that. Okay. I, I'm not certain. I, I thought at some point I, I had read that, but I'm not certain. But either way, it, it sort of informs my follow-up question, which I do believe there is listed somewhere like a maximum number of people on the board. So do you think that there needs to be, and I don't mean this targeted towards any specific person or group of people, but do you think there needs to be a mechanism, whether it's term limits or sort of a, you know, a George Washington type understanding to sort of encourage movement so that, okay, you've done your 10 or 15 years on the board and you've been a really generous servant to this organization. And now we'd like to give other people an opportunity and make the space for other people uh, to have an opportunity to do that. You know, do you think there needs to be a formal process or an informal process to encourage that or move that along at all? I don't think so. I mean, just my sense in, you know, just my own experience on being on the board for this length of time is I think for the most part that happens pretty organically. Certainly just speaking from my own experience, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm excited to be leading this organization for the next couple of years. Uh, but after you do it for this length of time, I think there is sort of a burnout factor. And I don't think that there's a significant number of people that that want to be on the board for 15 or 20 years at a time. I mean, <laughs> um, I think it, it is important that we have sort of the institutional memory and institutional knowledge. So um, I think that would be an argument that sort of militates against a, a term limit uh, type of situation. Uh, but certainly just in my own experience, when there's these sort of more uh, broad shifts in in membership um, uh, composition of the board. Uh, I, I really do think it just sort of happens organically that you can just sort of say, okay, um, you know, this is a new crew, this is a new group. It, it's time to let them do their thing, and and I think that's uh, that's happened uh, very naturally in the time that I've been on the board. So, you know, Jonathan, in this you know, both Ben's question and your answer, what I was kind of thinking about and hearing it is what I feel like is kind of the the combination of those things. And I guess we're kind of now using the podcast for Ben and I just get in the ear of the president. But um, I wonder if there's a way to basically take members that have been on the board for, you know, certain number of years and say, hey, you're not a quote unquote member of the board anymore. Now you are a member of the like, you know, I don't know, like some other name that we would give it the, the, you know, old guard, if you will, um, board that can still be there to kind of consult and help advise um, the quote unquote newer board, but to basically be there as, as you pointed out, to be a resource to kind of keep a lot of the institutional memory, a lot of the know-how is still there, but it, it is kind of creating that room and that space for newer voices. I think that it's, you know, as you've said, it is just something where, uh, you know, there are tons of people who are graduating, who want to stay involved, who want to keep going with this. And we've seen a lot of them um, that are showing up to board meetings, that are trying to get involved in committees. Um, You know, we're about to talk about it, but when you look at the Rookie Rumble case, that was, you know, in large part written by a bunch of recent graduates um, that are all not technically board members, but are clearly people that want to be involved in the community. And I feel like it's cool to to give that room, to give that space while retaining all of that knowledge. So, you know, I guess my question is, what do you think? Is that something that you would ever see as viable? Well, and just to touch on Rookie Rumble, I mean, that was very intentional on my part. I, I view Rookie Rumble as not just an opportunity for competitive rookies to get experience, but I viewed it as an opportunity for those individuals who are looking to develop uh, sort of a resume, get some experience with AMTA, uh, to be able to basically run a tournament and or write a case uh, so that if they decide to apply to candidacy, they can point to that and we have some some history with them where we can say oh yeah they did a really great job with with this or that so uh so that was very intentional on my part that the rookie rumble was an experience for those newer folks to to get some experience in terms of actually uh some hands-on work with ampta 
in terms of your specific question of whether there would ever be sort of a you know like a a shadow amped aboard i don't see that as something that uh that the board would necessarily be interested in um i think the fact that we have a larger board uh sometimes it can be a challenge but i think in many ways it's a feature because it ensures that uh that we have a wide variety of experiences uh different types of institutions different levels of competitive success um and i like having that balance and i think uh, obviously i can't speak for the board but uh, i think most folks on the board uh like the fact that uh there's a lot of different voices and we don't always agree um and that leads to some uh some pretty lively debate uh about different issues but um so i don't necessarily see there being a movement towards something like what you're proposing and that's you know understandable and fair um you know it's funny we kind of started talking about rookie rumble a little bit and that kind of brings me to to another point and i you know i think most people can agree that rookie rumble was a huge success um i i know that i've heard nothing but good things about it i really thought it was a fun case a fun tournament um do you think that a a version of it will continue to exist do you or do you see this as more of a response to covid and and kind of the the emergence of virtual mock trial for a lot of those younger members um and and maybe just a one-time thing or do you want to continue having some sort of summer virtual competition yeah i mean if it's strictly up to me i would be very happy to continue having uh the rookie rumble uh and or, or some other type of summer virtual competition uh i mean i think the rumble uh, makes more sense than OLT just because I think uh, certainly that uh, that proved itself just in the registration numbers. I think we had way more interest in Rookie Rumble than we had from from graduated seniors who have already sort of uh, sort of moved on and are planning their next uh, life steps. I think there's more excitement by folks who are seeing this as a practice opportunity leading in to a new season. And as I mentioned, from AMTA's own perspective, I think it's valuable for, for some of our newer members and folks who are interested in exploring candidacy for the board uh, to get that work experience. Um, and obviously, the benefit to online mock trial is there's no travel costs for anyone. I mean, it's, it's something that, uh, that doesn't take a lot of resources if you're uh, a competing student, which obviously is something that, uh, that is important to us. So uh, it's not just up to me, obviously. There's, <laughs> uh, you know, committees of folks who who would weigh in on it, and I don't know how the rest of the board feels. But, uh, but if it was just up to me, I would I would certainly continue it uh, next summer because I think it uh, there was a good response to it, and I think folks had fun with it. And I think that the emergence of Rookie Rumble, at least to me, was exciting because it showed the ability and an ease with which AMTA is able to facilitate more tournaments outside of just regionals, orcs, nationals. And I, I know that we've talked on this podcast a lot about, you know, potential ways to to modify that system and maybe adding in fall invitationals that are, you know, AMTA sanctioned. I know that you guys did a um, kind of a, a version of that um, in recent years, it was kind of to allow some newer programs uh, to get a, a invitational tournament under their belt. Do you see um, both of those examples as ways that AMTA is trying to expand beyond just the, I'll call it, you know, competitive season of regional orcs nationals? And do you think that that's something that AMTA wants to get more involved in? Yeah, I mean, certainly that's why I set up this committee that's looking for some opportunities to target that more towards maybe the type of schools that don't have uh, the same fall invitational access uh, that a quote-unquote, you know, traditionally funded school might have. Uh, so I view that as more of our role. You know, I don't think we're looking to necessarily expand into what I'll call the invitational space more generally. Um, I think we always have to be careful about, you know, depleting our judge pools for the the sanctioned tournaments in February, March, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, but if there are ways that we can use 
uh, sort of the online tournament structure to uh, to grow our membership, use it as a way of um, sort of mentoring schools, providing sort of a stepping stone to getting them in uh, to become more competitive uh, and to maintain or increase our school membership and expand to more different types of institutions. Uh, I think that's only a positive. Uh, but are we going to be, you know, having like an amped, uh, you know, uh, like competition for Gampty or, you know, some <laughs> of these big name invitationals? I don't see that as something that we're looking to uh, to get into. We uh, I'm I personally am at least pretty protective of wanting to make sure that uh, that our championship and the tournaments leading up to the championship are the premier events and that we're not diluting that by, you know, having some other, you know, type of tournament in the fall that could be viewed as, you know, competing with that. Yeah. And all that makes sense. And, and I'm really excited to see the work that, that this committee is, is doing related to, you know, some possible other opportunities, like you mentioned, uh, that fit within the structure of of how AMTA is right now. So we've talked a lot so far about what I would say are theoretical things, your your thoughts on on what you're looking to do and, and what possibly might happen in the future. So I think for our last major topic of discussion, we wanted to talk about something specific that happened recently. And of course, that was this year's AMTA board meeting. Uh, I know that Drew listened in for much of the first day when a lot of the substantive conversations happened. I was fortunate enough to be able to be there. And a lot, I would say the overwhelming majority of the public discussion during the board meeting related to the topic of invention of fact, and specifically the work of the invention ad hoc committee led by Justin Bernstein and and with a lot of other really great people on it. Uh, They proposed a number of motions. The vast majority of those motions were passed with fairly limited modifications. So as president, how did you feel generally about how the conversations at the board meeting went related to invention and just generally how the board approached the motions that were proposed by the invention committee? So here's a very interesting thing that if you've never been to an AMTA board meeting, I don't know if you necessarily appreciate, but uh, our board meetings run under Robert's Rules of Order. <laughs> and the president uh, is the presiding officer of the meeting. So, so similar to you know other deliberative bodies, uh, the chair does not participate in debate. The chair doesn't vote, um, except when the vote would affect the outcome. Uh, so my role at the meeting, and obviously this was my first time chairing an AMTA board meeting, uh, is really to play traffic cop. I mean, you have... <laughs> Uh, you have an agenda and you have a certain uh, number of items that you need to get through and you only have a certain amount of time on Saturday afternoon and Sunday morning to get through all of the agenda items. Uh, You have a room of approximately 30 people. We had a few people who were participating virtually by Zoom. And so I was really trying as chair to make sure that I was alternating between uh, folks who were you know, in favor of a particular topic, people who are opposed to a particular topic or motion, keeping track of, you know, the different amendments that were being proposed and make sure that everyone knows what we're voting on and that sort of thing. So, so my attention, oddly enough, was really focused on sort of the mechanics of the debate. (laughs) And I found that at the end of the day, even like on Sunday evening, um, you know, obviously I'm listening to the debate as it's happening, but I'm not listening to it as, as a participant in it. It's a very different role. Uh, I mean, I can tell you that I thought that the debate was, it was respectful. And I thought that, uh, that everyone was able to, uh, to express their, their point of view and some of the viewpoints were strong, but I think it was very thoughtful. Um, it was very thorough for sure. Um, and yeah, you know, that's what happens when you get a bunch, uh, when you get 30 people in a room that, that care very deeply about, uh, the organization and these important rules and, uh, and they hash it out and they ultimately vote and some things they decided to, to change and, and some things that were proposed ended up, ended up not happening. So, um, you know, I thought, I thought it was a, a productive 
uh, debate and discussion. But but my role in it uh, was sort of very very hands on and just making sure that the debate actually happened in an orderly manner uh, and keeping track of things and keeping the the meeting uh, moving on time. So it was a very different sort of perspective than I've normally had when I've been just a member of the body who's you know voting and making motions and participating in the debate. Yeah, you you compared it to to being traffic cop, and I think at, at times, not that the dis- I think all the discussion and debate at any of these meetings is always very respectful, but but you know maybe it's a little bit of traffic cop on the autobahn at a few uh, few instances when when thoughts are flying back and forth. But I will echo what you were saying. I, I thought it was a really thorough and interesting conversation, and just really a lot of fascinating perspectives from really smart people who are in this organization. I know that sort of the sentiment you were just expressing is that, of course, because of your role, you were focused more on keeping things uh, organized and moving forward. But uh, we did for, I think, about an hour and a half to two hours, go into committee of the whole and discuss specifically INV01, which was the necessary inference role. So obviously that that didn't pass. Justin previewed at the beginning of the conversation that, that he was going to ask it to be sent back to committee. And a lot of other really great rules passed that I think everyone thinks will have a positive impact. But on that topic specifically, on INV01, my guess is there were probably people out there who think that this is still this like looming thing that AMTA could kind of drop at any moment. So can you kind of explain exactly what happened there and then just give us your sense of where you see that process going now that the uh, necessary inference motion has been sent back to the ad hoc committee. Yeah, and obviously it's it's not really my role to to speak for the any particular committee or what they may decide to do or not do. Sure. So, you know, if if a committee wants to propose something for the mid-year, I suppose they could. But that being said, don't read too much into that comment. It's not like I'm expecting uh, some sort of a major sea change to our rules that's going to be made uh, you know, in December, um, just from private conversations I've had with folks, I'm, I, I sort of get the general sense that people want to see how all of these other different changes that were made play out this year. And then I anticipate everyone's going to sort of reevaluate and decide whether there are additional or different changes that need to be made going into the 23, 24 year. Um, so, so whether the ad hoc committee or the competition integrity committee, uh, or, or even just an individual director decides to file a motion to, uh, to change anything that will sort of happen through the, the standard process. But, but at this point, am I specifically aware of any big push for that to happen? No. Um, so I sort of get the sense that we're going to see how all of these other kind of relatively major changes uh, with things like the the Competition Integrity Committee and the, the in-tournament review during championship and all of these other things uh, play out during this year. Yeah, I really agree with that sentiment. That's sort of that was expressed by multiple people at the meeting and I agreed with it that, you know, we we made some pretty big changes this year. Let's put them in put them to work and and see how they go. So, let me ask this sort of last question about this. You mentioned the Competition Integrity Committee. So, of course, uh for those who didn't listen to our our uh board meeting episodes uh you know, or aren't as familiar with this, one of the changes that was made is the Competition Response Committee was replaced with the Competition Integrity Committee, and you as president are tasked with selecting those members. That committee is specifically tasked with dealing with issues related to invention, uh, in-tournament review, uh, advisory opinions, all of those really important tasks that we've put on this group of people. So how are you going about, and I understand you can't say, okay, this is the people I've chosen, but like, how are you going about choosing members of the CIC? And how does that relate to how you as president see the issue of invention and where it where we are right now with that issue in AMTA? Yeah, so I sort of put a call out to to all of the directors and candidates and I put together a little, uh, I guess I would call it sort of a questionnaire just so that I can get a sense of, you know, folks who are interested in being on the CIC. 
uh, sort of what their views are um, on invention issues. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, these folks are have sort of a quasi-judicial role. We're sort of uh, creating this panel that's going to be creating advisory opinions and have the chance to make rulings during uh, during the championship, at least for this coming year, and then we'll evaluate how it how it happens going forward. So, um, so I mean, I think it's important for me to get a sense of you know what folks' views are on these issues. Um, obviously, one of the things I'm looking at is keeping in mind that uh, for the championship. We're going to need at least some number of folks who are affiliated with teams that, um, you know, historically are not at the championship because otherwise, you know, if all of the CIC is competing, then they're all sort of conflicted out. Yeah. Um, and so, so I'm looking at institutional affiliation, um, and it's difficult, you know, um, I will say I probably had less people express an interest than I was expecting. Uh, but certainly there are some decisions I'll have to make, um, you know, in the coming days here, I, I want to get this wrapped up, uh, relatively soon, maybe even by the time, uh, that this podcast is published, those will have been announced, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's important, uh, that, that I am appointing folks that I think very broadly speaking align with, uh, sort of my views on on these issues jonathan sort of one i guess i'll call it a clarifying question related to the cic based on what you were saying are you limiting who you're considering for the cic to directors and candidates only and or is that required by by a rule of some sort uh i don't read the rule to require it be directors and candidates i think it is going to be primarily directors and candidates uh but there are some folks who are not directors and candidates but i think the community would view as functionally equivalent to a director and candidate Mm -hmm. uh that i'm certainly strongly considering so one thing i mean i I will definitely say that i'm excited to find out who is on uh that committee and and find out exactly what it's gonna end up doing because it is uh very exciting and important one. Um, one other thing that, and I know that we've discussed it already, is the alumni engagement committee that Rhea is going to be running. Um, obviously, as someone that I think that directly applies to, I, I'm kind of excited to hear and and see what exactly is going to be happening. Um, and and I was wondering if you could give us just a little glimpse as to what your vision is. Um, what you hope they can accomplish, what you want to see them do. And if you've had any conversations with Rhea that you can talk to us about of, of how you uh, want her to be running it. I'm, I'm just kind of intrigued to hear more about it. And it was something that I know when I initially heard it was being proposed and saw it in the minutes, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. But um, I'm just curious to hear how it's going to be executed. Yeah, and you know, I'm trying it. And this is true of really most committees. I want them to have the tools to do whatever they think they need to do to to be successful. And if they have cool ideas, I want them to feel empowered to to do them. Uh, so I know they're just sort of getting started. I know they're thinking about some additional uh, social media type uh, type avenues. Uh, but just generally speaking, um, I want to make sure that you know when people graduate from college that they're still um, a very defined sort of opportunity for them to remain connected to the organization and feel like they have a role in the organization. Whether that's, you know, uh, connecting them with with judging opportunities or volunteer opportunities or uh, just social media engagement. Um, I'm really sort of leaving it up to that committee to decide what they think um, basically cool ideas would be to to work on that going forward um and just sort of let them do what they think they need to do um because one of the things that i've always thought is i know when people graduate a lot of people think of themselves as 
you know, graduates or alumni of their particular team, you know, like, oh, I was in UMBC mock trial or I was in UCLA mock trial. But I really also want to make sure that people also think of themselves as having participated in AMTA, that they're part of this larger uh, sort of nationwide organization. And whether it's, you know, professional networking opportunities or law school sort of alumni chapters, um, whatever they think uh, would be cool and useful, um, I want to make sure that they're empowered to do that. So, uh, so I'm not like giving that committee like a list of things that I want to do. Um, I'm hoping that that committee does its own brainstorming uh, and and sees through uh, what they think would be valuable. So as I was hearing you kind of discuss some of the, the more general ideas, something that I thought of was um, something that I learned actually when I was coaching in Massachusetts. And that's that um, in, in Massachusetts, part of their state bar, um, they have a, a way in which as a new programmer, as a new mock trial team, you can ask for a member of the bar to to help advise your team. And they will basically assign someone who will, you know, attend your practices, who can help teach rules of evidence, whatever it might be. Um, our team didn't end up doing that because I don't like too many cooks, but um, it did make me think, you know, that might be kind of a cool thing to do is to just have a, basically a, almost a sign up of, hey, if you're someone who would be willing to coach and then kind of tying back to this vision you have of, of wanting to reach out to more uh, schools and specifically the HBCUs, um, but to give them those that additional resource of, resource of a experienced competitor um, who, who's willing to help out and coach. I feel like I've loved coaching and gotten a ton out of it. And if I move to a new city and I don't, you know, I don't necessarily uh, know any programs in that area. I think it's something that you know someone like me or or other alums might really like the opportunity to sign up through AMTA and say, "Hey, I'm going to be in this city. I would love to help out coaching. You know, if there are any teams in this area that are looking for a coach, please connect me." Um, some sort of mechanism like that could be really cool. And you know, I think there's a a minimum vetting of you know make sure someone you know generally knows what they're talking about. Um, but I feel like almost any uh, anyone that has gone through you know at least two or three years of AMTA has a minimum knowledge that they could really help a lot of young teams with. So I don't know. I, again, I'm I'm using this now as just a, a way to voice some of my own ideas. But uh, I just I, I love the idea that we're doing anything honestly with alumni. I think it's a hugely untapped resource, and I'm I'm excited to see uh, whatever uh, Ria and the rest of our committee comes up with. So I, I don't know if I even found a way to form that into a question, but if you have any <laughs> thoughts on it, love to hear them. <laughs> I think if you or if anyone else who's listening to this podcast has uh, thoughts or ideas on, on things that, that that committee or frankly any of our committees uh, could be doing, uh, you should feel free to email the committee chair. Um, and oftentimes, um, you know, when folks have ideas like that, we turn around and say, okay, that sounds great. Why don't you do it? <laughs> <laughs> well i guess ria if you're listening check your phone because i probably texted you <laughs> so jonathan to, to kind of wrap us up here uh just sort of wanted to look forward to this season as as we finish uh so obviously a lot to look forward to this year we've got invitationals coming up very soon and then amta competitions in 2023 and of course, AMTA announced not too long ago that the 2023 National Championship is going to be in Memphis, uh, hosted by Rhodes. Uh, I think we're all really excited for that. I think it's going to be a great uh, experience, and I'm sure that Rhodes is going to do a fantastic job. So what are you looking forward to about this season specifically? Of course, your first season as AMTA president, and more specifically about nationals, uh, about taking uh, AMTA nationals to Memphis uh, and having nationals hosted by Rhodes. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how many folks that listened to this podcast were around uh, back in 2010, which is the last time that uh, the last and only time uh, that Rhodes has hosted championship previously. But uh, that was a very fun tournament. Um, obviously, I've uh, attended that championship as well as many of the Orcs uh, tournaments that 
that Rhodes has hosted and uh and Anna obviously has been involved with with this activity uh just as long or maybe even a little bit longer than I have so uh, you know I think she really approaches it from the right perspective it's a very student uh student focused approach um I've already uh had the chance to to find out a little bit of some of the folks that she's looking at for potentially judging the final round uh which are some just some awesome folks uh on that short list um and it, it's just going to be a lot of fun i mean the, the it's a gorgeous courthouse for those of you who have not competed there um at an orcs before so uh, it's just going to be nice to to be back um uh, in memphis with a, a longtime host that uh that that i know is already doing a really good job putting things together so uh, and otherwise just you know josh lacrone has has done an amazing job as always sort of uh confirming all of our regional and and orcs hosts for the year um so i'm just got my fingers crossed that uh it'll be good to hopefully have a a full set of in-person regionals for the first time since uh since 2020 this year which will be kind of cool yeah i think we're all looking forward to that we're all hoping that that's possible um it's funny what you say about about anna and her history in this activity and in our conversation with her which will be out by the time this episode is out she mentioned in high school cross-examining uh sarah huckabee sanders in mock trial uh, I've, I've heard that story yeah it was quite a story it was it was we were we were enjoying talking about that but she also mentioned uh without naming any names of course some of the folks that, that she's working on for the final round so i'm third i'm sure it's going to be a really spectacular event well, Jonathan, we know that this is a very busy time of year, so we really appreciate you taking some time to chat with us. Uh, best of luck, obviously, with everything related to AMTA. We're really grateful for all of the work that you're doing as president and look forward to just seeing the results of so many of these exciting things. So thank you so much for coming back on the show and taking some time to chat with us. Anytime. And to everyone else, thank you so much for listening. Of course, we can't leave without thanking our gold patrons. Those would include Don Martin. Ben Rathsom, Felix Batakaria, Henry Lehman, Kate Hayner Slattery, Andrew Hinckley, Ian Lampert, the family of Daniel Sosa and Darius Peruk, and Mike Romano, as well as many other gold patrons. We're grateful to each one of you for your support of the show. We're so grateful to each one of you and to everyone in our Patreon and Discord community for everything that you're doing to help support the show. Thanks again to Jonathan for just being a, a great friend of the show and for coming back on. Uh, we've got some really other ex exciting episodes planned. Those are going to be in your feeds very soon. As we mentioned on our last episode, this is our regular release schedule now on Friday mornings uh, every other week. And we're hoping to keep that up for pretty much the rest of the season. Thanks as always for listening. Until we're with you again, this has been The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. 